Greetings, I'm Brad Thomas, and this is After All is Said and Done. Welcome. After all is said and done, then we will know, won't we? But perhaps we can know now, if we choose to. The other day, I made reference to my belief that Winston Churchill was the most important leader of the 20th century, followed only by Ronald Reagan. I stand by that. But I do find it curious, to say the least, that Winston Churchill seemingly was without faith in Christ. And I say I find it surprising because the man had such a historical perspective. He believed absolutely in destiny, not fate, so-called, but destiny. He believed in his destiny. He believed that he was created, he was born, he was destined to carry out a specific service to mankind, to Britain, the British Empire, the United Kingdom, and to God. And yet, he seemingly didn't have faith in Christ. That's, to me, that is such a breathtaking contradiction. So, I wonder how, how often this is the case with people, where they have a generalized belief in God without having a profound profound conviction of their destiny, of a God-given destiny. But despite all of that, they still are spiritually blind and they don't have faith in Christ. Uh, Again, those things seem to be diametric opposites, but polar opposites. But Winston Churchill, for all of his flaws, his glaring flaws, and who stumbled and made some terrible blunders, he still was absolutely pivotal to the survival of England, of Great Britain, and of the Western world from being enslaved by Adolf Hitler's Nazi Third Reich, so-called. Unfortunately, Churchill did not enjoy the respect and regard and admiration of Franklin Delano Roosevelt and his wife co-president, if you will, Eleanor. For they, in fact, preferred Joseph Stalin, who will go down as having been the single most effective mass murderer in history, other than, of course the likes of dear, sainted Margaret Sanger, uh, who Planned Parenthood is the brainchild of. But people have also uh, made aspersions and so forth with regard to Ronald Reagan's faith. And Ronald Reagan, while he was president, certainly was not a church attender, but his life shows forth faith, conviction, (laughs) absolute convictions, moral convictions, convictions concerning the truth of God and God's word, and the historical foundation of this nation as being 
brought into existence by God. We haven't had that kind of leadership in recent years. (laughs) We have had diametrically opposite to that. Those who, apart from and contrary to their public protestations and their photo ops and such, have shown themselves by their actions, as well as their words, especially those uttered in private, to be opposed to and, in fact, enemies of what this nation was created for, the United States of America was created to be, founded to be, sacrificially brought into existence to be. Perhaps you saw the story this past week, which was from Forbes magazine, which is a business publication, of course, it focuses on business-related items. But it was regarding the 20 most powerful people in the world purportedly. Well, it was interesting to me that top of the list again went to none other than Vladimir Putin. You know, the president for life, the dictator, oh dear, I shouldn't say that, the dictator of Russia, of the Russian Federation. President Donald Trump followed him. And then dear Angela Merkel of Germany. But in fourth place was Xi Jinping, the so-called president, the general secretary of the bloody red communist regime of mainland China. And down the list of ways, in number 12 was communist China's premier, Li Keqiang. And you will have to, or you may not, but I would hope you would forgive my pronunciations, mispronunciations of these Chinese names. There was an interesting omission from the list, and that was Dmitry Medvedev. Dmitry Medvedev, you may recall, who serves currently as prime minister to Vladimir Putin. Dmitry was for a time the figurehead placeholder for Vladimir Putin. Vladimir Putin stepped aside from the presidency because constitutionally, that's right, Russia, the Russian autocracy, the Russian dictatorship has a constitution. The Soviet Union had a constitution. They copied the American constitution the same way that Islam, the same way that Muhammad imitated Christianity and Jewry, so the Soviet Union imitated the United States of America, but not... In fact, none of these imitations were in fact, were emulations, were done out of admiration and agreement and belief and conviction that the way that it was done in the United States of America was the right way and the best way and deserving of being followed. But instead, they copied them in order to pretend to be something that they were not in order to facilitate their lies, their propaganda, and the success of their vicious, ruthless, bloody, murderous, torturous regimes that were at absolute war with God with Christ, with the Lord's people, those who follow him, obey him, serve him, love him. But these hell-bent 
on destroying all of that and overthrowing God because they serve a different God who is Satan, who uses a number of different names, including Allah. But so Russia, as the Soviet Union did, Russia has a constitution. It is a constitutional government. Communist China has a constitution. It's not worth the paper it's written on, but it has a constitution. And of course, the United States of America's constitution has been creatively subverted, corrupted, perverted, and overthrown by those who have used the United States Supreme Court to that end of undermining the United States of America with the ultimate goal of overthrowing the United States of America. But back to Dmitry Medvedev, who took over for Vladimir Putin for a term so that then Vladimir Putin could once again run for president and resume his official position as president. But he didn't miss a beat while he was gone. The whole thing was subterfuge, sleight of hand, smoke and mirrors, and he ran the whole show. Dmitry Medvedev was just a straw man, just a puppet. And I think holds a special place of affection with Vladimir Putin because he's shorter than Vladimir Putin. Now, that's just, that's just my opinion uh, as to one reason he might be a preferred person there for Putin. But he's very loyal to Vladimir. And he did not make the list this time. Well, under dear old Mao Zedong during the Cultural Revolution 1966 through 76, Mao Zedong and his dear wife, they engaged in what was the height of their war against the church. They had been engaging in that going back to the 50s. Going back to when they first took over. During the time of the Korean conflict, the Korean War, they were ruling and reigning and engaging in a reign of terror, targeting Christians, targeting pastors, ministers, Christians, and the physical churches as well. But for all of their efforts to destroy the church, they did not succeed, and currently the number of Christians exceeds 100 million, and it is expected to be the largest group of Christians in the world by the year 2030. Interestingly enough, the current regime has stepped up its ruthless, vicious persecution of the church. Every year it gathers more steam. Every year they turn the screws more. And they have not only been going after the physical churches, tearing them down, destroying them, but they have been bringing trumped-up charges, rigged charges, fraudulent charges against the pastors, having kangaroo trials, 
but only after they have kept them in black jails and such. Black jails meaning secret jails for years at a time. Then they have kangaroo trials at which they damn them for having committed all manner of grievous things. It's interesting to see the same charges being brought over and over and over again. Conspiracy to disturb police order and so forth. Gathering mobs to disturb order, which is interesting because the communist Chinese regime routinely hires gangs of thugs, gangs of violent criminals to attack the Christians, as well as their their police and what have you. But another charge they bring is that they are evil cults. Well, the interesting thing is there are some nasty cults in China. This, this goes parallel with the rise of cults in the former Soviet Union, after the Soviet Union fell, is cults chose to fill the vacuum there, and they targeted former Soviet Union, and they did certainly make headway. It's an unavoidable side effect And the only way to combat it is with the truth, with the truth of God. But here, these terribly clever, devious, communist Chinese regime forces have used this, employed this, to charge, to sentence good and godly pastors, ministers, evangelists, not to be confused with these televangelists we have in the U.S. of A. and so forth, to sentence them to monstrous terms in prison, not receiving any credit for the time that they've already been held and brutalized and tortured. And furthermore, then they fine them, and those fines end up fining their families and the churches And the communist regime withdraws the funds of the churches from their bank accounts in addition to tearing down their buildings, tearing down their structures, tearing down the crosses off of the churches. And again, each year it is increased under Xi Jinping and his premier. Going back to the good old days under Mao and his co-president, secretary, co-chairman, the Communist Party established the power to approve or reject proposed marriages, to dictate where couples would live, and to determine if they would live together. Romantic love was deemed a counter-revolutionary act punishable by struggle sessions (laughs) where they were re-educated and imprisonment and worse. What it reminds me of is this Chinese couple who a couple Olympics ago uh, won... I think they won the silver medal in pairs figure skating. And they were wonderful. And they competed at many Olympics and world championships. But the dear old communist Chinese regime, which of course was supposedly a democracy during these years, uh, saw fit not to permit them to live together while they were competing for communist China. Fascinating that they could get away with that, right, as a democracy. But 
good old communist China and Xi Jinping. Xi Jinping, who is now BFF of Donald Trump, president of the United States, after spending a mere couple days with him, hosting him at his estate in Florida, he decides he's not a bad guy after all. He's actually a really good guy. I mean, we just hit it off. We have so much in common. We have so much in agreement. All of those Things that I thought were going to be such big problems, they're all going to go away. They're all just going to go away, according to the commander-in-chief, the tweeter-in-chief of the United States of America. Such godly wisdom, such insight, such foresight, such historical perspective. Well, China and Russia, call them what you will, but they have histories, they have track records, and they have not deviated terribly from their ultimate objectives. Even though Russia is a democracy, so-called, as compared to a communist regime, even though communist China, with the Communist Party running that, country, it's still considered a democracy by many, by the Trumps and so on and so forth. Amazing. Well, dear old communist China, the only complaints that Trump had about communist China were concerning business, trade, devaluation of their currency, illegal, you know, secret devaluation of their currency and these things. But those were the only concerns. It wasn't the matter of the monstrous, monstrous persecution and suffering being inflicted by that evil communist regime on the church, on Christians. When I say the church, in the case of communist China, it's including the Protestant church, the Catholic Church, and now of all things, they've even turned on their communist church, the three-self-patriotic movement that was created by Mao et al. in order to force all Christian churches to be melded into it and that they would run that the same way that the Soviet Union ran the Orthodox, Russian Orthodox Church in Russia for so long. The same way that in North Korea, there are exactly two churches. And when I say two churches, I don't mean nationwide. I mean in one place in that monstrous evil regime in Pyongyang, in the capital, there are two physical structures. One is Protestant, one is Catholic. And when notable VIPs visit, such as Billy Graham and his wife Ruth. They were taken on a guided tour to both of these facilities, and they saw that they both had a large congregation. What they didn't realize was it was the same congregation, the same people that were moved from one to the other. And those churches are show churches specifically for the purpose of fooling those who are willing to be fooled. Because the only worship that is allowed in North Korea is worship of the ruler. The ruler and his predecessors. And they take the place of God the Father, Son, and Holy Ghost. It is Kim, Kim, and Kim, as well as a statue of Kim, and so on and so forth. But North Korea is not this little rogue regime that it's made out to be. No. Far from that. It has been a satellite that has been employed by, been used by communist China and formerly the Soviet Union, now Russian Federation. It's being used 
in my view, in my view, and in addition to what it's been used for up until now, such as assisting in providing nuclear materials to nations of choice, such as Pakistan, and nations of choice by communist China and or Russia, but also for hacking (laughs) the secrets of the United States of America, the technological secrets, the technological breakthroughs, the military technological breakthroughs, and so forth. But as far as I'm concerned at this point in time, what it's being used at is a, uh, an outlier. If you go back sometime in history, there was a certain General Custer who was a, a brave fellow, but a vain fellow and a rash fellow not the wisest of leaders, and a glory hound, and uh, false glory, but glory hound, but again, a brave man. Okay. But he allowed himself to be fooled, to be pulled into pursuing a smaller body of... Indians of Native Americans, you refer to them. And he led his men into an ambush, a trap, and they were cut down. They were destroyed. As far as I'm concerned, that is the role of North Korea at this point in time. When I say that, I don't mean that the United States of America should do nothing about North Korea but it is a very difficult, touchy thing at this point in time because of just the lay of the land on the ground in North Korea and its extreme, extreme close proximity to South Korea as well as to Japan and so forth and Taiwan. But very touchy, and the idea that a conventional strike at North Korea will resolve something, you know, without boots on the ground, just a conventional strike, and then they will learn their lesson, and then they will, you know, cease and desist from... uh, their pursuit of this or that or the other thing is, I think, uh, foolishness, to say the least. North Korea has one of the largest armies in the world. They are well-trained. They are not among the starving masses. No, the starvation diets are given to the Christians (laughs) and all of those who are in forced labor concentration camps. And all Christians go to such places when they are discovered. All true Christians not to be confused with those that Billy and Ruth Graham took for being Christians. But, and that's true whether these Christians are children, young people, adults, elders, it doesn't matter. Being in North Korea and being a Christian, being in North Korea and daring to look at a Bible... That is a death sentence. 
If they are not executed outright, they are sent to concentration camps that are as fearful as any concentration camps that have ever existed. (laughs) They are not typically executed by gas, poisonous gas, the way that the Christians and Jews were in Nazi Germany and by the Nazi Third Reich in the other nations, including Poland and so forth. No, they are worked to death, starved to death in unheated barracks in these monstrous concentration camps. And it is a death sentence to be sent there. I'm Brad Thomas, and this is After All is Said and Done. If you're joining the program after the introduction... Now you know who I am and what the program's title is for future reference. Well, the president, the tweeter-in-chief, his reservations, his concerns about communist China, again, were focused on business issues, business matters, economic matters. You know, it's the economy, stupid. Uh, those famous words, that famous campaign platform of William Jefferson, Clinton, Bill, Bubba, and Hill, and Albert Arnold Gore Jr., which they employed successfully against George Herbert Walker Bush who was unable to respond adequately due to the loss of campaign manager Lee Atwater, who died from brain cancer, and who was the only Republican campaign strategist that the Democrats feared, and they hated him because he believed and using the same techniques and tactics that they have always used, and which the communists have always used. He used the same playbook. And they just were furious with Lee Atwater. But he was a good old boy that was unusually clever and cagey for a Republican, as I've mentioned before, in the Beltway... It's not uncommon to hear the Democrat Party referred to as the evil party and the Republicans referred to as the stupid party. And again, those are generalizations and exaggerations, but there is a remarkable amount of truth to it. Interestingly enough, Donald Trump, this last presidential election cycle, was elected largely on the same thing, on the same platform. It's the economy, stupid. (laughs) I mean, that insult to injury. I mean, that's really what it came down to. It was just remarkable, breathtaking to flip the page and have that be revisited when so often this nation has been sold down the river All manner of monstrous, evil, immoral wrongs have been visited upon this nation and have crushed this nation all because the economy trumped everything else. And interestingly enough, this time around, despite the exceedingly glaring flaws and inadequacies of the new commander-in-chief. He was elected on the basis, principally on the basis of this, it's the economy stupid, without ever verbalizing it that way. But that's really what it came down to. And interestingly, 
at least for the near term, at least for the immediate time, the evil, truly evil agendas of the left are being put at bay because of the victory of the economy over everything else. It's just just remarkable to me. I happened to see a movie that really was more of a documentary than anything. It was a docudrama, and it was entitled Dirty War. And there were a couple quotes that were shown on the screen prior to the movie getting going. The first one was by E. Manningham Butler, the head of MI5, which is akin to the FBI in England. And this is from June 2003. And he said the following, quote, It will only be a matter of time before a crude chemical, biological, or radiological attack is launched on a major Western city. Now, these crude chemical, biological, radiological, or nuclear uh, devices are known as CBRN. That is the acronym. But end quote, uh, if I didn't throw that in there. And there was another quote, which was from Nick Rainsford, the minister for London in April 2004. Quote, London is as prepared as it possibly can be. End quote. So two very different perspectives here. The first being that dirty bombs will be employed in terrorist attacks, Islamist terrorist attacks against major Western cities. It's only a matter of time before that happens. And then the Minister for London giving us the the optimistic, cheerful perspective that London is so prepared, so well prepared. Well, within the body of the movie, there were statements made by characters, and the characters were not the real individuals. These are characters. But some of the statements bear repeating and I'll just give you a taste of it here so uh, there was a a hearing and it was uh, in parliament you know where that minor terrorist attack uh, took place very near parliament just what, a couple of weeks ago? But here, uh, the following was stated, and it was, Deputy Assistant Commissioner Ives, as head of the anti-terrorist branch, do you feel that adequate measures are in place to protect the public? And Ives responds, obviously improvements have been made across all emergency services, but... I'd warn against complacency. A great deal of work still needs to be done. Well, that remark was so terribly controversial that the Minister of London, not the real Minister of London, but the Minister of London then chases him down after the hearing, and she says, John, that's public record. The cat's out of the bag. You can't say that. And he says to her, And I'm not going on public record to say we're fully prepared when we're not. And the Minister of London says, we've allocated £330 million on Homeland Security. That's a huge commitment when the public's demanding hospital beds. What else do you expect us to do? So the public is demanding socialized medicine. They have socialized medicine, which, of course, the team Obama has been working to foist upon the American people because, after all, it works so brilliantly in England and so brilliantly in Canada. 
And he responds, I'm saying we shouldn't confuse activity with achievement. Out of a force of 30,000, the Met, that is the Metropolitan Police, have only 1,500 officers with protective suits and two days of training. We would struggle to deal with a large-scale conventional attack if a CBRN went off. If a CBRN went off. If it went off, John, if... And he continues, I've seen Al-Qaeda's plans for these weapons. With the IRA... That is, the Irish Republican Army, so-called. We knew 90% of what they were up to, and they still got through. With this lot, we're lucky if we know 20%. It's naive to hope it won't happen. Then later on, he goes on to say, this isn't the IRA. With this lot, we don't know who they are. We don't know where they are. We have no inside informants, and they don't give warnings. And what's fascinating about that with reference to the United States of America is this. A number of things, but one is this. Going back to Bill and Hill when they were in office. They worked continuously to demonize devout Christians, genuine Christians, militia, patriotic militia, and they used certain examples that they made. They went ahead and they went after an evil cult, (laughs) a cult headed up by an evil leader. It's not to say that all those people that were enslaved by the Branch Davidians were evil, but they were led enslaved by an evil guy. So it was a test group. It was a safe test group that they, the Clintons, could go after and to see what was the American response to use the U.S. military within the United States of America against some so-called Christians and to slaughter them, women and children, to burn them to death. Oh, well, no, it wasn't... The military that did that, that was just, you know, so on and so forth. If you applied the same reasoning that they applied there, that it wasn't the military that caused the explosions and the fire, instead it was David Koresh, well, then you would have to say that over in Syria, it's not Assad that was gassing these rebel forces, but it was, in fact, the rebel forces that had the poison gas that was let loose by Assad's forces firing some shells in there. But, honestly, you can't have it both ways. (laughs) But, of course, we do have it both ways. So, we believe whatever we're told. And, of course, they went after a family at Ruby Ridge and murdered the mother. And in that case, it was the FBI. And there were many other such instances. The handling of uh, the Oklahoma City bombing as far as who was really responsible for it. If you believe the official government line, then you're mistaken. But many such things. Uh, And certainly with regard to the first World Trade Center bombing that did result in fatalities. And where again the FBI was involved and again in both cases Oklahoma City and World Trade Center Islamists were involved. It was a cooperative effort. But, of course, we know, no, it was just Timothy McVeigh and so on and so forth. Terry Nichols. But 
we focus all of this great attention on stopping some terrorist cell. And there is reason for it, as is shown, or as is uh, given some credence here by these statements from the UK. But the greatest threat, the greatest danger, is not from Islamist terrorist cells, even those which have been allowed to take up residence here in the United States of America, going back to the earliest days of Clinton and his co-president, Rodham Clinton, to the earliest days of their taking power in Washington, D.C., back in 93, transition in 92. But enabling these evil Islamist groups that go by different names and have slightly different flavors to take up residence and to operate with impunity in the United States of America, courtesy of Bill Clinton and Hillary Rodham. There is danger from them. They do pose a threat because they are dedicated to destroying Christianity, Jewry, God's people, whom they typecast as being infidels. They are dedicated to destroying the great Satan, <laughs> even though they serve Satan, the great Satan, the United States of America, uh, followed by the other Western nations but they have found the other Western nations to be a softer target here in recent times, and so they have been focusing more attention on them. What's fascinating is little, tiny Israel that is surrounded by Islamist terrorists and Islamist regimes and a significant portion of the population in Israel, within Israel, is Islamist, despite all of that, that Israel is still standing, that Israel has been able to keep from being destroyed by the Islamists is an absolute, honest-to-God miracle. And that's while Islam is not only a terrorist threat within the nation and at absolute war, all-out war against Israel, but also permeates, pervades Israel. And Israel is made up, for the most part, of, of those that are not Islamist. Most of them are atheists, agnostics. Or they are in name only Jews. Yes, then they have the Orthodox Jews and the ultra Orthodox or Hasidic Jews. And interestingly enough, the more Jewish they are, the more an enemy of Christ they are. I mean, they are the ones that are so stalwartly opposed to Christianity. But but Israel still stands despite all of that. God still upholds Israel despite all of that. That's a miracle. Well, with regard to these Islamist terrorist groups, uh, they gave a breakdown about the structure. And I did want to mention a couple of those cell structures here. Uh, This Islamist terrorist cell structure, it's composed of the logistic cells, the reconnaissance cells, and the attack cells cells, and then the agent, the manager who's in charge. But back to the logistic cell. The description is this. They will be embedded in the target country. They're likely to be British nationals because it's referring to Britain. So they'll stay low-key. They won't associate with other known extremists. They may not even attend mosque. They raise cash for their group through 
crimes like credit card fraud. And they provide passports, safe houses, equipment. They gather all the elements that make an operation in this country possible. That description fits to a T the Islamist mosque in the United States of America, the Islamist nonprofit charitable organizations in the United States of America are involved in all of that. They are embedded in the nation. Many of them are naturalized citizens. Others were born here, second generation. They stay low-key. They may not even go to mosque. They don't associate with known extremists. And then to the agent, and I'll come back to that, the logistic cell, to the agent. The agent is the manager. He puts the cells together and executes the plan. He will be white-collar, well-traveled, highly educated, and will have lived in the West for several years or more. He will have multiple identities and have impeccable cover. He could be a doctor, a lawyer, a university professor. The point is, he'll be invisible and skilled at hiding his tracks. When's the last time you saw some uproar about some Muslim who was on the no-fly list? who is being terribly persecuted, and my gosh, you know, he's a doctor or he's a lawyer and he's a university professor, and and on it goes. And lo and behold, he fits perfectly this description from Britain, from MI6 and MI5 concerning... the Islamist terrorists within the Islamist cell structure. So next time you hear about some poor picked-on Muslim who is being detained for terrorist connections, terrorist activities, you might want to consider that. I'm Brad Thomas, and this is After All is Said and Done. After all is said and done, then we will know won't we? But perhaps, just perhaps, we can know now if we choose to. Thank you. Mm-hmm.